Welcome to Stewardship Spotlight, a podcast featuring conversations with the world's leading experts on antimicrobial resistance and stewardship. This podcast is produced by the Antimicrobial Stewardship Project at the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. I'm Dr. Marnie Peterson, your host. Advanced microbiology techniques are rapidly changing our ability to diagnose infections, improve patient care, and enhance clinical workflow. In this special limited series of Stewardship Spotlight, we will be focusing on the ways that these diagnostic tools can improve patient outcomes, improve quality of care, and lead to economic benefits as part of antimicrobial stewardship programs. We will examine the benefits of diagnostic tools and how they can be integrated into the future of healthcare. This mini-series is supported by a grant from BioMario. Today, we will discuss the mini-review entitled Clinical Utility of Advanced Microbiology Testing Tools with co-author Dr. Duane Newton, which is linked in the episode notes if you want to follow along. In this paper, Dr. Newton and team explored how to define the clinical utility of novel microbiology technologies. We will discuss how to clearly articulate the value proposition of these new technologies to various stakeholders, including clinicians, the clinical laboratory, hospital administrators, and health systems. Dr. Newton, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Thanks, Marnie. I am a board-certified clinical microbiologist. Uh, my, my training uh, was to run a clinical micro lab, which I did for about 18 years. Um, actually 20 years. I did two years in public health for the state of Michigan, and then uh, the, the next 18 years as the director of clinical micro at uh, University of Michigan. And I left there um, last fall and uh, did some consulting for a little while, and now I work for BioRad in their scientific affairs. So I've, I've moved from the clinical lab space into the, the manufacturer space. Over the 20 years of your career, you've had a lot, seen a lot of changes to the standard of care and the standard of laboratory diagnostics. So talking today about advanced microbiology testing tools and being able to show their clinical utility, a lot of times it's in comparison to the other standard, standard laboratory tests. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we just start with what are the components that go into understanding the clinical utility of a diagnostic tool? Well, there... You know, it really depends on what part of the patient care continuum or spectrum you're operating in. You know, so I always like to think of the patient is at the middle of this, and and um, everything that's going on is to best serve them. And you have um, direct providers like physicians and nurses uh, who are interacting with the patient to. Uh, identify what's going on, you know, what in this case, what type of infection they might have and make decisions about uh, how to manage that. And then you have the laboratory who is helping in that process. The lab receives specimens in uh, from those patients and and performs the testing to to identify the pathogen and provide some uh, potentially some susceptibility information. Um, You have that the health system who is trying to manage a large population of patients all at one time and uh, utilize a limited amount of resources to optimally um, 
impact and positively impact those patients that they're seeing. And then obviously you have third-party payers that are, are subsidizing this uh, or paying for these services and, and want that to be in most a cost-effective way so that you know, those resources are utilized appropriately. And so out positive outcomes and, and benefit and clinical utility is viewed differently in each of those settings. So for me as a clinical laboratorian, the things that I'm going to look at are uh, how, um, how can we provide an answer using this technology or does this technology provide an answer better than our standard of care? Do we get it quicker? Does, is the performance better? You know, is it more sensitive? Is it more specific? Are we able to, uh, to do it in a time frame um, that provides results more quickly to a physician that they can use it, uh, use that more optimally? Is it going to improve our, our operational workflow in the lab? Are we going to, do we have to use, uh, we don't have to use as many people to do it or, or we can more effectively use the people that we have? Cost is a factor in the lab too. I mean, we, we are trying to contain our cost. And so does, you know, one methodology that you can do all these things at one time take the place of maybe five or six different approaches that would be very labor intensive and, and take a long time? Um, those are some of the questions that we would, we would look to try to answer or some of the reasons why we might choose a, a, a new technology for our purposes. But in from the physician standpoint, is it going to help get that patient on the right therapy more quickly? Is it going to get an answer, um, yes or no, that impacts how they're going to be managed? What, where in the hospital we're going to put this patient? Um, how quickly can we discharge them? From uh, you know, from a third party perspective and the hospital perspective, those those issues are also relevant. You know, we have a certain number of beds. We have a certain number of appointment slots that we can, we can fill on a, on a day. Um, we have a certain amount of financial resources that we can put into supporting this care. And so all the things that we're doing along, uh, along these lines and taking care of that patient are going to impact those things. So a new tool that can improve any of those parts uh, has, has value. And, um, and I think the, the goal of this paper was to try to identify and highlight for people that you know, there are a lot of stakeholders in this process and the definition of utility is gonna vary based on the perspective that the stakeholder holds. And we need to recognize that as we um, partake in activities that demonstrate the value, we pub, you know, do studies to evaluate value or, or look at outcomes, it's going to come from different perspectives and may, ne and may need to come from different perspectives in order for, at the end of the day, for a, a, a successful argument to be made for a particular technology. I think it's important for the listeners to understand the, the breadth and depth of individuals that contributed to this, th this thoughtful piece at the time. Uh, and I neglected, uh, and, and shame on me, because now I'm part of the manufacturing industry, but, you know, manufacturer uh, representatives from the manufacturing industry are also co-authors on this. And it's, you know, it was really important to have all those individuals at the table because the manufacturers 
need to understand what the drivers for adoption are going to be um, and how utility is demonstrated and, and um, both from how they design the product, but also in the price that it uh, it costs, you know, how, how expensive is that technology? Where do they have to price it for them to be a successful business, but also to ensure that it's affordable for a laboratory and a hospital and at the end of the day that uh, a third party payer will actually reimburse it, you know, if it costs this much to do that test. I think, you know, in the, in reality, what it highlights is that we have to, we have opportunities to continue to uh, work together across disciplines and, and break down silos and not just be, you know, in the lab focusing on my operational things, we have we have to engage with the clinicians who are taking care of the patients and understand what their priorities are. We have to engage with the manufacturers and we have to engage with and educate the, the non-clinical people that are part of this and help them understand the approaches that we're taking because it's not just about, you know, the, the dollars and cents at the end of the day. And, and sometimes you know, it's a difficult um conversation to have, but you have to look at it like an investment. If we put money in at the early stages here, it has downstream, it has the potential to have downstream impact. But I think, you know, the point of the paper is we have to do studies to show what that downstream impact is. You know, having, having gotten together and then put this manuscript together, 2018, 2019, now a lot's changed uh, since then. I'd like to talk a little bit about that as well as then obviously there's a lot of push towards that type of diagnostic advanced diagnostic testing at point of care now because of uh, the response to the pandemic. Sure. Yeah. So I think the first part of your question is that, you know, we have to recognize that there are different environments or settings where care is delivered. And so what constitutes a, uh, a, a measurable outcome or a positive outcome in one setting is not necessarily the same in another. And so the things that we would try to show for an inpatient, uh, in, an inpatient setting where you're dealing with, you know, patients that are at very high risk for severe disease, um, the threshold for, you know, the thresholds for what would be an impact are going to be different. And the parameters that you look at in that patient population are different than, um, a patient that's coming in with a sore throat in a in a doctor's office or in an ambulatory care setting, um, you're going to look at different parameters and the thresholds for what is an impact are going to be different in that setting. And so even, you know, there's a complex matrix of stakeholders and there are complex matrices of care delivery settings that change how you would do this. And, and that's why the data is very difficult to generate is because there isn't a randomized control trial that tells you A versus B. It's, it's very complex and multidimensional. So that complexity has been exacerbated or influenced strongly by the pandemic because we see more and more laboratory testing that's being accessible to patients outside of a laboratory setting or outside of a hospital setting. So you have drive-through sites, you have um, you know, a pharmacy where you can go get a box and get a couple of rapid antigen tests and do your test at home. Um, that 
is transformative to how we deliver care and what, you know, the, demonstrating um, a positive outcome or a clinical impact in those settings is also very, very complex. There's a lot, actually, in, there's a lot of information or challenges with at-home testing because it's hard to capture that. You don't really, you know how much is sold, but you don't know how, what the testing, how much was actually done and what the results were and what kind of came from that. And so we've just created an even more complex scenario to demonstrate clinical utility or demonstrate value um, by increasing accessibility to testing because of the pandemic. But even as complex as, as it is, there's there are opportunities for us to generate that data, and it doesn't have to be a complex study. A, an example would be changing from a laboratory-based culture for group A strep pharyngitis to a point of care molecular test done in the doctor's office. And so um, that molecular test can be, you know, the hypothetical or theoretical test could be done in minutes, you know, 15, 20 minutes, um, potentially provided in the framework of the visit so that uh, an appropriate antibiotic prescription can be um, provided and the patient can be on antibiotics quickly. And so looking at you know, the positive outcomes as far as recurrences or you know, additional infections within a household that are prevented because you provided that information rapidly versus taking a day or two because it's done in a, um, in a remote laboratory setting. The, the greater healthcare impact of, of putting that, you know, what is a much more expensive molecular test compared to culture, but making it available quickly and providing that information quickly, um, the downstream effects that it could have in a positive way for the health system overall. And th that's a simple question. And even though um, it's a complex testing and care delivery matrix, um, those types of things can be done and are being done you, you don't necessarily have to show utility for every clinical scenario and every tool that's out there. I mean, what I feel like helps our cause as an industry is you do things well in a targeted way and demonstrate the value of concepts and, and technologies in general. And there you can easily translate that um, to other clinical scenarios or other settings um, without having to do the study. Looking to the future, as more and more advanced microbiology technologies come into the marketplace, can you elaborate a little bit more on how the clinical utility of these tools can be demonstrated and even how they can become part of the standard of care? I think one of the reasons why this group got together was because it was recognized that there are challenges um, in accepting the value of expensive tests, expensive laboratory tests. And the, the way the system was set up, you know, you, the, we buy the, we decide to use a test for a variety of reasons. We make the choice. We'll, um, do our validation or verification in our lab. We'll set up a billing structure for that. You know, we'll negotiate with third-party payers for particular care. Um, 
but you know the third party payer isn't necessarily involved in the decision to bring that test in and so they start seeing charges for different in different scenarios that are associated with this new test and they're like wait a minute you know we're not going to pay that because it's it's a laboratory developed test or it's a new technology that hasn't been proven or there's there's no clinical validity um and often you know the challenge that we've seen is that technology far outpaces and and the internal demonstrations of utility uh, whether or not they're data driven um, outpace sort of those third party payer decisions and recognition of that and acceptance of that and incorporation of that technology into standard of care so i think at a minimum what the future holds is we have to do a um, imp- we have opportunities to improve on how um, practice guidelines are developed with in the laboratory community and um, in continuing to engage with clinical practice guideline development and the physician community um, so that the lab the specific laboratory tests are as they're being developed and utilized or incorporated into those guideline models. So I think the future, the first is to continue to um, participate, engage and expand um, our our involvement in those practice guideline developments. I think um, the other is to, you know, take cues from other uh, our clinical colleagues who do outcome studies all the time and partner with them uh, and find you know, the proverbial low hanging fruit within your institution, especially large, large academic institutions like, you know, University of Michigan, where we have more resources potentially to do these kinds of things and start picking away at some of these questions, identifying ones that are going to have value and generate that data. Um, I think those are, those are two things. And, and the barrier to that is what we've been dealing with over the last you know, 18 months to two years. Um, the, the impact that COVID has had on the healthcare community can't be measured. The concept of adding anything new to the plate of a clinician or a laboratorian in the context of what we've been dealing with for the last two years is very difficult. The, on the bright side, that these technologies are often, um, you know, superficially show value to me as a lab director because they save time, they save people, they save manual activities. And so they allow you to do more um, with less expenditure of personnel resources. Uh, I just wanted to thank you, Dr. Newton, for for speaking with us today um, and bringing your perspective and to bring in perspective both from your having been a, a director of a laboratory for a long time, but also um, in your new role of trying to help um, industry bring impactful technology to cl- clinicians and laboratories um, that are under a lot of pressure and stress. So thank you. This is Dr. Marty Peterson, and you've been listening to Stewardship Spotlight a podcast produced by the Antimicrobial Stewardship Project team at the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy. Our podcast editor is Maya Peters. 
For more news and information on antimicrobial resistance and stewardship, check out our website, sidrap.umn.edu ASP, or you can click on the link in this episode's description. You can also find us on Twitter at sidrap underscore ASP.